I was uh, working as a promo- like a promoter in uh, Mallorca. So I fell in love there with a girl. When I moved back to Amsterdam because it was only a summer job, uh, she called me and she said, "Look, do you know any company in Amsterdam?" Because I would like to do an internship of three months. And then I told her, why don't you come and work in my company? So I hang up and I said, oh my God, how am I going to do that? And there was no company. And like in two weeks, uh, we set up a company called computeracademy.nl, which is until today uh, a working company. And uh, when she came two weeks later, there was like a fully functional company with clients. And- <laughs> This is Chris Reynolds and welcome to the Entrepreneur House podcast. The Entrepreneur House is a business accelerator for six and seven figure entrepreneurs creating events and retreats all over the world. Picture yourself spending four weeks with other high level entrepreneurs in the northern mountains of Thailand this coming October and November 2017. It will be full of masterminds, workshops, advisors, like minded entrepreneurs and of course some fun adventure. If you're ready to take your business to the next level with other successful entrepreneurs, be sure to Apply at theentrepreneurhouse.com. Today, listeners, we are joined by the international real estate mogul and serial entrepreneur Noah Leith. Noah was born in Iraq but grew up in Amsterdam. His entrepreneurial drive kicked in at a very young age after the passing of his father. He felt the pressure to step in as the man of the household and he began building businesses at 18 years old. Today, Noah has a real estate empire having done business in Dubai, Marrakesh, Amsterdam, and Barcelona. We get into the mind of Noah and how he chooses which businesses to get involved in. He also talks about about the indicators that helped him completely avoid the crash of 2008 and the best market to be involved in today. Noah's story is quite impressive and he offers some incredible tips to entrepreneurs while telling about how he became the entrepreneur that he is. And with that, let's welcome my friend Noah Laith to the show. Welcome Noah to the podcast. How are you today? Thank you very much. Thank you for having me here. Great to be with you, Chris. I'm it's, very good. Thank you. It's great to have you. And you're calling in from beautiful Barcelona today, is that right? From beautiful Barcelona, yes. Sunny, sunny, beautiful Barcelona. How long have you been in Barcelona now? Now, almost three years. Tell us, I like to discuss Barcelona on the podcast every now and then, but what do you love about the city? So many things, to be honest to you, uh, Chris. Like Barcelona is uh, uh, like a big fruit salad of many nationalities, of many different people also. It has the beach, it has uh, the mountains, but the most important, at least for me, it's like 11 and a half months per year sun. Yes. And, uh, you know, I've lived uh, for more than 15 years in the Netherlands. And if anyone knows how the weather there is, uh, a friend of mine, she made a joke uh, when she arrived here. She said the summer uh, in the Netherlands was on a Wednesday last year. <laughs> so <laughs> so uh, I personally, you know, go, going from uh, one day uh, or maybe one month a year uh, sun to 11 and a half, it's, it's, uh, it's amazing. I, lo- I love Barcelona. Yeah, me too. Well, Noah, we want to get into your story as an entrepreneur and get to know you a bit. And then we'll talk more about what you're doing. So if you don't mind just sharing with the listeners how you became the entrepreneur that you are today. Uh, Definitely, definitely. Actually, uh, how I started was more out of necessity. Uh, You see, my my parents are from Iraq and they had to uh, flew, let's say, the war uh, back in 79. And um, when they left, let's say, they came to uh, first to France and we like moved to many countries, but we, at the end we arrived to Netherlands. 
And um, but when we arrived in Netherlands, I lost my father when uh, when I was 14. So suddenly, you know, I I felt the responsibility over my family and my mother, uh, uh, and I thought, you know what, what's the best way to take care of them? And that's where I went into actually the self-development uh, phase. When I was 14, I read a book called uh, Awaken the Giant Within from um, uh, good old Tony Robbins. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, that, let's say, opened uh, um, a chain of uh, constant uh, reading and improving. And one of the books also that uh, through this uh, path that I read was uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, which yeah. is uh, focusing on creating a passive income for yourself and for your family. And when I started to read about passive income, uh, I thought I'm going to dedicate, let's say, the next 10 years to create a passive income, uh, let's say, stream. And with doing business and being an entrepreneur, let's say, the funny thing about that is once you start doing and taking action, a lot of people ask me that question, okay, where do we start? It doesn't matter where you start as long as you start mm -hmm. because it's more about the journey than at the, at the, the end goal. And usually in that journey, you discover a new path that will match much more your personality than what you're doing at this moment. And um, so that's how I started, to be honest with you. I started like uh, with something small that developed to something bigger, sold it. Uh, it, was, uh, it was actually funny. I was uh, working as a marketeer, as like on the street, you know, to where you put someone inside the nightclubs. It's uh, oh, yeah. like, a promo like a promoter, mm -hmm. it's called also, in uh, Mallorca. And I met, uh, I fell in love there with a girl. And uh, when I moved back to Amsterdam, because it was only a summer job, uh, she called me and she said, look, I, do you know any company in Amsterdam? Because I would like to do an internship of three months. And then I told her, why don't you come and work in my company, you know, as an internship? And she said, oh, I didn't know you have a company. So great. Okay, let's do the paperwork. So we did the paperwork. And then two weeks later, she called me. She said, my teacher approved that me, that I come to work in your, uh, in your company. I said, great. So I hang up and I said, oh, my God, how am I going to do that? And there was no company. So, in like in two weeks, I went to university. Uh, I borrowed some chairs, some computers. I found some teachers that were co-students of mine, and uh, we set up a company called ComputerAcademy.nl, which is until today uh, a working company. And we started teaching like uh, offers, PowerPoint, Excel. It was that back then in the in the beginning of uh, of the internet uh, hype. And uh, when she came two weeks later, there was like a fully functional company with clients. And, <laughs> and that, it's so funny, like what if you get emotions uh -huh. like on something, it it really trigger a lot of uh, energy. Right. So that was my first company. I sold it. Then I created another IT company, and then I sold it, and then I went into real estate. I bought my first apartment, renovated it, uh, then my second and third, and, and that's how it went uh, for 10 years. And after 
Netherlands. I went. I did the same in Dubai. The same to Marrakesh. Then went to South Africa and uh, bought a restaurant chain with three restaurants. Brought them to twenty three restaurants. Sold them, and now I moved to Barcelona. And uh, yeah, I've been here for the last three years. So, so, what happened to the girl, Noah? She's actually still one of my best friends, and uh, yeah, we 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 are like we've been known each other for twenty five years, uh, tw- twenty years now. Sorry. Wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> really story. like maybe maybe my best friend. Uh, <laughs> I know. The girls make men do funny things sometimes. Uh, yeah, Start really, businesses. Really. <laughs> <laughs> okay, thanks for sharing, Noah. That's a great story. I want to go back to you when you were 14 years old and you first read the book Awaken the Giant Within. It sounds like that kind of created a shift in your mental thinking. And what was it like for you as a 14-year-old boy when you first came across that book and that type of information? Uh, I had a big aha moment, mm-hmm. like uh, a lot of things, you know, like parents usually love their children and they try to do and to give uh, the best of what they think is the best for them. But they are not gurus in every matter of life, mm-hmm. not in health, not in, in mindset and definitely not in finances. So that book, let's say, gave me a kind of uh direction on how to discover more of yourself and also the opportunity to share that with your parents and with your family and when i started to share these ideas and 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 uh, mindsets with uh, my family they they were actually very open about it um they were not they and then we started to implement it step by step uh, and I, I was lucky you know to have a great uh, mother who's always open for new ideas i think most parents they uh, they are not so open uh to to these things like if i if i sometimes talk to elderly people and i tell them maybe you should try this or try that they they're they don't like change and no one likes change usually but uh if you're past 40 usually even more you you're averse to change Mm. so when you are a 14 year old boy and you read a book like this, you know, it's, your brain is still not fully um, developed. So if you, you can put more in it, let's say. Right. So, yeah, through that book, you know, I then, and back then there was no, there was no internet. So at the end of the book, there was a list of other books that I should read. And then I started to read these other books. And then uh, there were, I remember there were books from Richard Bandler and John Grinder, uh, John Grinder, the 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 founders of NLP mm. and uh, I read about uh, speed reading and about mind mapping which helped me in my school to do two studies simultaneously while still having a life uh, besides studying and um, yeah like many things and I discovered let's say the power of reading yeah and uh, actually they asked Bill Gates and Warren Buffett independently if they could have one magic power, what would be? What would be? And they would. They both said independently of each other that reading more and faster. Yeah. So I mean, if two of the richest guys in the world have that as a as a as a need and as a wish, then I just follow their you know their path. 
Noah, what was the very first business you started? Uh, my first business, legal or illegal? <laughs> <laughs> Just uh, either, either or. <laughs> no, I'll, I'll tell you first the illegal one. Uh-huh. I was uh, I was seven, and uh, I was uh, always playing with. I, I don't know how to call it in English, but you know these small balls when you when you the uh, bouncy balls. Yeah, like uh, it's with your hand, you throw them, and you have to touch another ball with that ball. They are made from glass or plastic or oh, stone. I think you call it bocce or, ball. Or steel. Yeah, the, the, these ones. So with these ones, we were playing at school, and uh, I saw that there are always a group of people who are always losing their balls and had just to stand aside. Mm-hmm. So the next week, I went to the shop and bought like a big bag of balls and start to sell the balls per unit to these uh, to these like co. Co-students. Those are marbles. 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 Exactly. Yeah. That's the word. Yeah, marbles. So uh, that was like un- until my mother, I think, three months later, discovered that uh, <laughs> that I had too much money for a seven-year-old boy, and she she told me, "No, you're not allowed to think of money now." <laughs> so uh, that was my first business, actually. Uh, but my real first business was uh, uh, when I went to Australia. I was 18, backpacking, and I ended up in a in a hostel house on George Street number three in Sydney. Mm-hmm. I never forget the address. And uh, one day, the manager uh, of that hostel, I, w- I was staying there like for two weeks, and the manager says, "Oh, I'm, I'm quitting uh, next week." And uh, the owner was also there; he was Lebanese, and I started talking Arabic to him. And then I told him, "Look, um, can I take it over from this manager?" And I remember that the rooms were costing $20 Australian dollar uh, per day, per night. And uh, uh, I took it over from him. I gave him, let's say, just a rental every week, what he used to get from the other manager. Mm -hmm. And I made the price half, but instead of renting per room, I rented it per bed, and I put in every room three beds. And it was like $20 was already cheap. But ten dollar was like super cheap for Sydney yeah. back in the '96, so uh, it was like full in no time. And I did that for three months, and then sold it to the son of the owner of the real estate, mm-hmm. and then went just backpacking and went back to Netherlands and started my study. So I know you've been involved in a lot of real estate and a lot of businesses over your days. What are all the businesses that you've been involved in? To be honest to you, they're m- mainly uh, in uh, real estate. Like mm-hmm. most of the businesses, they are mainly in real estate. And um, uh, Netherlands, that's where I started most of them. Um, then after Netherlands, uh, there was a period where I started to buy virtual real estate, which means websites. Uh, I uh, partnered with uh, an ex-Google guy, uh, Orkan Ibadov. And we started to buy, let's say, websites that were underperforming and put them higher on Google and then selling them. I did that for, I think, three years uh, and then went back to real estate and uh, uh, Orkan also followed me and like he's, he's, doing, he's now our director uh, internet marketing. So, um, yeah, like... In the website buying business, there mm-hmm. were many websites, like from 
wedding rings, uh, business to lights uh, of cars to like anything you can like DJ courses, uh, you name it, uh, we did it. But these were all small websites and they were mostly dropshipping websites. Okay. And uh, th the rest was only like real estate. So investing in uh, in underperformed real estates. Uh, so uh, usually we buy a building or an apartment that is uh, squatted or that has been that went into fire and was not uh, insured or bankruptcies or uh, people or two partners who want to stop uh, inheritance whatever a problem is we go there we buy it we find a deal sometimes even with the buyer we cooperate with them in a partnership um, and then we have a team here i created a team of around 20 people that um, that then go through a procedure to clean uh, legally and tax-wise, uh, and then we start construction or we sell it. Now, I know you have a really diverse portfolio location-wise with your real estate, and you've done business in Amsterdam, Dubai, Marrakesh, in Barcelona, and I'm sure some other places. Can you tell about that involvement? You know, I, I believe you started in Amsterdam and then you moved to uh, another city and another city. Can you tell us why you chose to do that and how that came about? Yes, that's actually a very good question. And a lot of people ask me uh, that question. How come, let's say, you can do business in so many countries with so many cultures and the reason why I left, actually, Netherlands, I, why I stopped investing in Netherlands, is because of the crisis. Uh, the crisis came in September, October 2008. And uh, every week for the last mm, 15 years, I follow uh, some indicators. Indicators that can foresee a crash. Mm -hmm. And in 2008, I remember very well, uh, on the 6th or 7th of January... I saw that these indicators went so high that it was a matter of time before something going to crash. So on 28th of January, I sold everything in 2008, and, uh, and, and nine months later, the crash came. And like in every country, then when I go there and invest, uh, I always double-check these indicators. Mm-hmm. And that's the same. I mean, I cannot see the future. No one can does, but you can at least see when something, when there is a tension in the market. You know, it's called the fear index. Mm -hmm. That's one of the indicators uh, that uh, I follow. And um, uh, so after that, I thought, okay, he's going to come a crash. Where, where is another place where the market is still undervalued? So I went to Marrakesh. And I stayed there for two years and then went to another country, another country, and then after that I went to South Africa uh, for three years. Mm -hmm. And uh, after South Africa, I came to Barcelona. And, and now I think Barcelona, uh, when I came here, was undervalued. Now already it went up since I came until now with almost 60%. Really? Wow. In, 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 in three years. Wow. Yeah, yeah, it was, uh, it was amazing. So you talk about these indicators, Noah, can you share with us what those indicators are? You said the fear index. and Yes, yes, definitely. I can uh, share some uh, of them by 
not being too technical. Mm-hmm. Um, so the fear index is one very important uh, index that uh, many people, um, uh, let's say many uh, investors, uh, especially on the stock exchange market, uh, mm-hmm. are always um, following. And a fear index is mostly an index uh, that you can Google. It's, it's called VIX. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's a kind of vo- volatility index. And it's a measure to see uh, the volatility of the S&P 500 uh, option. And it's uh, calculated by the Chicago, if I remember, Chicago Board uh, Options uh, Exchange. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, mostly, you see, most people, they invest with two reasons. And their, their, their decisions are uh, affected by fear and greed. Mm-hmm. So the fear and greed index, it uh, measures the emotion that is driving the market at this, mo- this moment. At this moment, as we speak, like this morning, I checked it, it was around 74. Like 100% is extreme greed, 0% is extreme fear. What was it back in 2008 when you saw it? It was 20. Like when, it, when it goes below 20, mm-hmm. uh, that's when uh, then it becomes dangerous. Okay. Because everyone is fearful and they start to sell and then the market crash down. So um, this is one of the, of the volatility. Uh, well, that's one of the indicators. Another indicator is if your taxi driver starts... <laughs> giving you good uh, good deals you know in real estate deals then you think okay <laughs> something is wrong here so and there are all other you know indicators uh, but these are more technical indicators and there's a r- ratio between let's say the numbers that are uh, of shares that are bought on the on the Dow Jones and the numbers that are sold on the Dow Jones like the volatility on it and there's a there is a also a type of uh, um, like index for that that is uh, that I also follow uh, and um, yeah like there are a lot of indicators that if you like Google you know uh, indicators uh, like for crash you, you will get a lot of indicators but you actually have to follow them and you will see that every crash in history in the 80s, in 2000, 2001, in 2008, but in the 20s also, there's always they're always followed, uh, uh, like pre-followed. I would call that in English. Like um, uh, before it happens, these indicators they usually go very up or very down. Mm. So um, you might, you know, uh, be wrong and invest uh, or sell everything too early. But I always think better sell everything too early than lose everything. Right. So um, so after you saw all this in 2008, you just sold all your real estate holdings? Yes, I, I sold everything that I had in Netherlands, at least. Yeah. And then went to... Then research. I, did, uh, I went to a couple of countries. I did, uh, like, Brazil, uh, the BRIC countries back then. Brazil, Russia, India, China. Uh, I went to Dubai, and then I chose for Marrakesh. Mostly because of the contacts I had there, and because it was it's a very nice city. You did some real estate in Dubai too, correct? Yes, yes. What was yeah, it? There was still actually. What's it? Uh, 
what's business like in Dubai these days? I've never been there, but I hear some crazy stories. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, to be honest with you, I go every year to Dubai to Cityscape, which is a big uh, international real estate fair uh, in Abu Dhabi and Dubai. And uh, I have many friends living there. And Dubai, uh, you hate it or you love it. I love it. Um, and you love it actually mostly like my love for Dubai changed from a bit of love to a lot of love uh, because of the network. Mm. Like you can do business there and you can be, uh, let's say, b- bouncing on the same door for 10 years before, before they enter, let you enter that door. But if you know the right people there, it's like opened in, in a couple of hours. So Dubai is much more than Europe than uh, it's about who you know there. And uh, like through the years, I've met I've made some very good friends there, and uh, it's very easy to do business there if uh, if you know who you're dealing with, and also if you want to work very hard, uh, Dubai is really a good place to to start your career. A lot of people start their career there. Say somebody wanted to get into the real estate game um, and, you know, they're an entrepreneur and they have some money from their business and they they hear real estate's a good place to hold their money. Where would you tell them to go? At this moment? Yeah. Um, well, actually, very simple. Uh, in, in Spain, in Barcelona. Yeah. Yeah, yeah definitely Barcelona. Um, I, like, I can advise also other places. I think Georgia is also very interesting. Uh, Georgia has been um, having a very entrepreneurial uh, minister of uh, economic uh, affairs. Um, they like they came even here to Spain to request Inditex, which is the mother company of Zara, to uh, to they, they they gave them land in Georgia. They gave them free taxes for the next 99 years. Georgia is wow. becoming like the si- Singapore of that area. Wow! And, I didn't, uh, just yes, so everybody yes. knows, this is Georgia, the country. Yes, Georgia, yeah. the country. <laughs> yes, and the 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 old president, when he came to power in Georgia, the first day that he came into power, he fired the whole police corps of the whole country. So, how come? Were they crooked? No, he just said, I don't want to have any risk um, of corruption <laughs> in that country. Uh-huh. So everyone is fired and the new, um, the young people can apply for a job. And if you, have a, if you have a track record of corruption, of if your family was implied in corruption, you don't have to apply because we'll put you in jail. Uh, wow. Because of that, let's say Georgia became like from one of the most corrupt countries in the world to one of the least corrupt countries in the world. And um, so, yeah, I, I think Georgia has a has a potential, let's say. Yeah. Um, but Spain, like in Barcelona, with the focus for me, at least, uh, to Barcelona, because I think location, you know, the three rules of real estate, you know, location, location, location. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think Barcelona or Madrid... Uh, I prefer Barcelona is a very good and stable place to stay. Mainly of what's hap- what happened in Turkey and in Egypt, you know, a lot of people who used to go on vacation to Turkey or a lot of people who used to go on vacation to Egypt, they 
move their focus to uh, Spain. Yeah. Now, I know you've experienced quite a bit of growth in the past six months. We were talking earlier. What do you think are the causes of such an extreme growth in your business in Barcelona recently? Well, if that's, that's, a, that's a very good question. I think, as, as I said just now, you know, what's happening in the world, um, a lot of people are looking for a safe investment and what's happened in the Middle East and in, in a lot of... A lot of people from Asia, from China, from uh, South Korea, from Malaysia, they like to have a second residency. Yeah. And the nice thing about Spain, in Spain in 2012, they introduced a program called the Gold Visa Program, the Golden Visa Program. And what it does, it gives you if you invest above 500,000 euro in real estate, they give you a residency. Mm-hmm. And with this residency, you can apply for a Spanish passport. But with this residency, you have a visa-free, actually, uh, pass to hundreds of other countries. Wow. So a lot of people, you know, imagine you're from Iraq, or you're from Syria, or you're from Ukraine, or Russia, and you have... You're a millionaire. You don't want to have the headache of every time with your family and apply for visa and wait and have to find out if you're going to get it or not. So you come here, you buy a, an apartment or a building for 500,000 euro or more, and then suddenly you have, uh, the, you have a re- residency and a visa free to many countries. So I think this helped a lot Spain and a lot of the growth of Spain. Mm-hmm. Uh, that and the fact that here the ROIs, the return on investment is much higher than other countries like London or Amsterdam. If you get there 2-3%, you're a happy chap. Uh, in Barcelona, like it starts 5-6%, which is for a lot of people a lot of money. Like It's the double of, of Northern Europe. Yeah. Spain also released an entrepreneurial visa within the past couple of years. Have you, are you familiar with that? Yes, yes, yes. I, I uh, actually, I know. I think you know also that Marisa was doing yeah. that. Uh, that's true. But a lot of people don't know about it and don't, they don't use it. Also, yeah. Uh, mo- most people they buy a real estate uh, uh, instead of let's say applying for a, for a business plan. And, and most people don't have a business plan. You know, they they just have money. They have their business somewhere else. And they don't want to start a business in Spain. Yeah. They just want to buy it, easy for them, and, and no headache. But yes, you can also get a business visa um, and a residency by applying it as a, as a business, let's say. And Noah, say, um, say if you weren't in the real estate business, what type of business would you be in? If I would be in the real, if I would not be, or I would be. Yeah, if you could not be in the real estate business. What type of business would you be in? Um, I think in the virtual uh, world, which is like online marketing, um, like uh, websites. I'm sure every, every, a lot of your listeners heard about the four-hour work week from Tim Ferriss. Mm-hmm. I will just find a niche, an online niche, and uh, uh, that is requested a lot and that is not so sexy. And 
just focusing on that uh, part because you know you can travel then and still have a good income i could see you as an online marketer like your picture with selling some books and cds on the side and <laughs> teaching marketing <laughs> what do you think is a good niche for online mar- uh, for online businesses that you haven't seen out there uh, a good niche for online marketers to be honest to you uh, i think the best that's that's what i like about online marketing and and as an online marketing myself in the past uh, i don't like to think about what's a good business or what what's a good business opportunity i like proof and the best way to have proof is by doing a keyword research and by doing actually a, a research in what has been trending what is being requested how many websites in that business uh, are there and then making the decision based on 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 numbers instead of um, what you think might be a good opportunity so to give a good answer to that i'll, I'll have really to do a, a a good research let's say through uh, through a keyword research tool or through there are many tools you know online that can give you uh, and give your readers and uh, listeners uh, some some let's say background before they make a decision. Noah, is there anything, any other words of wisdom you'd like to share with the listeners before we wrap up today? To be honest to you, it's actually the same as many people uh, say about that. Uh, for me, the most important thing, you know, as an entrepreneur, as an entrepreneur, is uh, three things. Number one, find a mentor. Find someone who is there who has been there, who has walked the path that you want to walk. It will save you a lot of time. That's number one. Number two, keep learning every day. Even if it's 15 minutes, everyone has 15 minutes a day. You schedule it, you know, in the morning, before sleeping, whatever you want, but keep reading and keep learning. And number three is pay it forward. Find a mentee. Find someone who is still have to go where you are already there and pass that wisdom because I've noticed that when you teach, you implement it even more, like you internalize the the knowledge even more. Mm -hmm. And it's a good thing to do, to be honest to you. So these three things I would like to give to your uh, listeners. No, I want to give you a huge thank you for coming on the show, my friend. Thank you for sharing your wisdom and your tips and your entrepreneurial story with us. I really, really appreciate your Pleasure. Time. Pleasure. Thank you for inviting me again. No problem. And listeners, we're going to wrap up there for today. And thank you for listening. And we'll see you all on the next episode. Bye, everybody. The Entrepreneur House is a business accelerator for six and seven figure entrepreneurs. Imagine spending an extended period of time with other successful entrepreneurs working together and growing your business. Day to day, you interact with other driven and smart business people. Spending an extended period of time around them alters your business and your mentality around business. Goals are set, business grows, new partnerships develop, greater profit margins are achieved, the productivity skyrockets for attendees, and you get to have an incredible adventure while doing 
doing it. This year, our main event will be held in Chiang Mai, Thailand. It is four weeks from October 26th to November 24th and held for six and seven figure entrepreneurs only. It will be full of workshops, masterminds, advisors, co-working, and fun weekend social events. Be sure to check out the details at theentrepreneurhouse.com as soon as possible. This event will fill up fast. For those of you that are interested and have some questions, be sure to contact us through theentrepreneurhouse.com forward slash contact. We will respond as soon as possible. For now, saludos from somewhere in the world. Uh-huh. And a lot of these starting investors, they also uh, like to invest in a safe place. And Barcelona, to be honest with you, for a lot of people, is pretty safe. Yeah. It's, you know, if you look at top uh, 10 cities worldwide, yeah. Barcelona is uh, number three or number seven, depends if you count uh, how much money spent per visitor or how many nights they stay. Yeah. But it's, it's always in the top 10. Mm-hmm. And top 10 are also... Paris, London, New York, Amsterdam, Hong Kong, you name it. And if you compare these cities with Barcelona, like the cheapest, cheapest things you can find in these cities are around 5,000 euro the meter square. Yeah. In Barcelona, I am buying things for 2,000 euro the meter square, 1,500 oh, wow. euro the meter square. And yeah. I'm talking about center, like forget the, the, the suburbs. <laughs> they don't count even for me suburbs. I'm talking about center, center. Right. So I'm talking about Gotico, Raval, Elborn, and and uh, and uh, it's just a matter of time, you know, before people wake up and then they see that Barcelona is 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 way undervalued. Yeah, and the reason why we are buying them so cheap is because uh, here people, let's say, I don't want to to say that people in Spain are sleeping, but their 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 work. Uh, appetite, let's say, mm-hmm. is a bit different than someone who comes from Norway or Denmark or Netherlands uh, yep. or England. Yeah. So you can here make good damage, you know, if you are willing to work really a lot. Yeah. And smart. Yeah. And uh, and also like Spanish people and and sou- South uh, European in 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 general, they uh, um, like to uh, buy things that are let's say finished without headache. Yeah. And and our focus is we buy only things with headache. Yeah. So squatted buildings, uh, squatted uh, apartments, uh, uh, buildings that went in fire, uh, bankruptcies, you name it. Yeah. And like for a Spanish person or a French person, he said, no, man, give me something ready and I'll move there in. So yeah. we buy it, we clean it, and then uh, we resell it. And for that part... Like a lot of people don't want that, so so we take it. Yeah, that's good. It's always yeah, it's always like that. If you take something that is not sexy, usually there is a lot of money made in that. If you take like uh, uh, hangers, you know where you hang your clothes. Yeah, the hang the hangers business is huge. Really? And there's a huge, huge worldwide. Imagine how many hangers are made worldwide. Yeah. And 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 the profits there are also big. Things like, uh, um, I don't know how to call it in English, but it's called, in French, it's called punaise. Uh-huh. You know, it's h- how, you, how you pin a paper, let's say, on a board. Uh-huh. With, a, with a pin, what's called, a pin? Just uh, like a pin board. 
Yeah. Yeah, like a pin board, but like the thing that you pin with it. You know, they always come in the different tag. colors. Yeah, or the, the tag. Yeah. yeah. That's also a huge multi-billion industry. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah. So if you th- if you choose, let's say, sexy stuff instead of not sexy stuff, usually the not sexy stuff bring you more. Mm-hmm. So uh, I choose not sexy stuff in the real estate. And then make it sexy. And make it sexy, yeah. yeah. Clean it and then, hop, and then sell it. That's cool. So that, yeah, that's uh, yeah, it's been very interesting. We're going next week to the biggest fair of uh, real estate in Cannes. And ah, nice. Yeah, it's, uh, like like every week. Then the week after, I'm I'm giving a speech in Amsterdam for 200 uh, investors. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you know Kevin Green. It sounds familiar. Kevin Green is the biggest uh, private property owner uh, in the UK. Okay. And and uh, he asked me to come and speak uh, to his uh, to his investors and and students. Nice. So, wealth, um, wealth training secret millionaire is that him? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Wealth training secret yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's him. So um, yeah, that that that's uh, that's what I'm. Uh, Thank you, actually, for inviting me uh, to, uh, to your podcast. Hey, no problem. It's good to have you. It's good to catch up, too. Thank you. Yeah. So, what what uh, what would you like to know? What? How can I <laughs> add value to your podcast? Well, I was just thinking we, you know, I, when we first met, I really enjoyed kind of learning about your involvement as an entrepreneur, starting, you know, where you started out, your experience in Morocco. Um, oh yeah you doing some stuff in barcelona yes and um you know i was just i just i i really enjoy just kind of talking and and listening um and learning for really from people that have uh, such a drive to be a serial entrepreneur and start many businesses and kind of grow them and um and share their knowledge and so so when I was doing this, I was kind of going through my list of people that I knew that I thought would have really good stories and, and really good information to share for the others. Okay. And uh, I thought of you, and I was like, yeah, that'd be, that'd be fun to go through his story as an entrepreneur again, kind of how he started out and, and seeing the experiences that he had. And yes. then I do it in an informal way, Noah, where um, – you know, it's kind of a conversation and, and I'm just listening to your story. And if, if something intriguing pops up, I, I may ask you a little bit more about that, you know, and we'll dig, okay. dig deeper into that. Okay, okay, sure. Yeah. And we shoot for about 30 minutes of chit-chatting and then um, and then we'll wrap up and we'll go from there. Okay, awesome. Yeah. Have you podcasted so, before? No, this is, this is my first podcast. Oh, wow, nice. <laughs> I'm still a virgin. <laughs> it's not going to last very long. I promise it doesn't hurt either. <laughs> okay, nice. No, so so to um, to start, yeah, where I started, uh, to be honest with you, it was in 2001. Yeah. I was always, like in my school, I was already uh, like doing small businesses aside, you know, as a, as a, as a high, in a high school. Uh, but I wasn't like very... Um, Decisive, like I, I wanted to used to be a programmer. Let's, I didn't think about being an entrepreneur. Let's, before we jump in, Noah, I'll um, I'll give like a countdown and then start the recording, and we can 
if you're interested, we can we'll just start and we'll go from there. Okay. Awesome. Let's do that. Did you get your ice bath today? I did this morning. Ah, nice. <laughs> Good. Um, all right. Are you ready, my friend? Yes, I am. Okay. In three, two, one, 